You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more. Today on our show, I'm talking with Visa Butler. Visa, thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you so much for having me, Brainerd. I'm excited. I've been looking forward to this. Me too. So it's it's June 2nd, uh, 2021. You're in um, New Jersey, uh, West Orange, New Jersey, in your studio. Um, mm-hmm. I guess before we talk about all the work you're doing, how are things going in the studio? Is there a different kind of emergence process now since we're emerging out of the pandemic, it seems? I think as it should be. I should be pushing myself to kind of move a little faster now that some of the fairs have been reinstalled, I guess I'd say reestablished, and they're going to be opening up. Um, I've been trying to push myself to move faster so that I'll have, like, the work ready. But it's been a struggle, actually, to sort of zap out of this slow motion that I've been for the past year. And what do you mean the the stairs, the work ready for, for what is there, an upcoming show? What are you – is there, is there yeah. a reason you're pushing towards something? Yes. Well, I was speaking with my gallerist yesterday, um, Claire Oliver, and she was just saying that – let me see. Expo Chicago is going to be opening up in, I think it's October – And Expo Chicago is a fair that I do every year. And then also Miami Art Week. Um, We're going to be participating at the Untitled Fair, and that opens in November. So I need to have a certain number of pieces done before those shows happen. And so far, (laughs) I'm sorry to say that I don't have those pieces done. So I really need to um, get on it. Well, I'm certainly sympathetic, and, you know, I, I understand that. Is the reason you're saying you haven't, because of the kind of uh, difficult year and a difficult transition out of it, do, do you think that's partly what accounts for that or, or something else? For sure. That, that, there is that. During this year, I actually started working more carefully and slower. Like, for instance, in 2018, it might have taken me – a week to quilt a portrait of one person, like a life-size person, maybe six feet tall. And now it's been taking me a month to create that same piece. And it is hyper-detailed. I'm cutting things smaller. My details are more accurate. But I'm trying to kind of get myself out of that and sort of back up a little bit and maybe hit a medium point where everything doesn't have to be absolutely perfect, and then, but still things can be tighter than what they used to be. So let's talk about what you're working on. Um, it could be some of the pieces that are, that are recent or, or that have been done over the last year. What, what have you been um, making in your studio? Well, lately, right now I'm working on a piece dedicated to the Harlem Hellfighters, um, they are, I'm, I'm not sure if you've heard of the Hellfighters. I don't know the they Hellfighters. Are, well, they're, uh, they were a regiment of World War I um, black soldiers who came out of Harlem, uh, the 369th Regiment. And at that time, the U.S. Army was segregated. The, uh, 
the white American soldiers didn't want to fight alongside black soldiers, and the French were in need of men, you know, in need of those guys to march on the front line, and the black soldiers were willing, so the United States government basically passed them off to the French, and they went over to Europe and fought alongside the French soldiers. And they apparently were so fierce that the Germans nicknamed them Hellfighters, the Harlem Hellfighters. Um, And so I'm doing a portrait of about nine guys. They were on a ship. They had finished fighting. The war was won. And they're getting ready to pull up into New York Harbor. And they actually marched down Fifth Avenue in one of the first big military parades that was given for black soldiers. But this photo was taken of them on board the ship right at the moment where, like, they've pulled into port, but they didn't actually get off yet. And a photographer um, working for the government snapped their photo. And it's just, it's just an awesome photo. They each, there's nine guys, and they each have the Croix de Guerre on their chest, the war cross that they got, uh, part of the Legion of Honor from the French military. They're war heroes. They survived. They're really young. Like, they're, like, 19 to I think the, the sergeant was 30. And they look like men who've got the world in their hands. And it's a really beautiful shot. So I'm quilting a big 11-foot by 13-foot version of that where all the guys will be all made out of fabrics. Wow. That's, that's, that's a, a great story, an incredible piece of history, but also a, a massive um, work you're doing there, right? That's huge. Let's talk yeah. a little bit about your your process because your quilting, applique, you know, all that mm-hmm. detail. This sounds so ambitious, this one. Uh, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's kind of amazing. Uh, I mean, not, 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 not that it's amazing, but there's a kind of wowing factor to it, that much work and mm-hmm. that larger scale. Um, mm-hmm. and, and also very beautiful, that kind of, I, I think, devotion to an image, or that's how it strikes me. Um, yeah. How let's let's talk about your process a little bit. How do you how do you begin that? I, I don't know a lot about applique. Yeah. I know a little bit about quilting, um, mm-hmm. but I'm mm-hmm. but I'm curious how you put it all together. What what the medium is because it's a combination of things. Is that correct? Yeah, it's a combination. Like I went to school. I have a, a bachelor's of fine arts in painting, so the underlying structure is the same. You know, I I found a photo that struck me and I thought it was interesting. So when I see this photo of these young guys, that was the initial thing. Who are these guys? What are those medals that are on them? Um, you know, I don't come from, both of us, we don't come from a time where the military was segregated. So it was curious to me on the caption, U.S. soldiers wearing a Croix de Guerre. I'm like, okay, why do they have on French military honors? And then from that, I decided, like, I want to, I want to quote this. This, this is an amazing moment. It's something that most of us we should know about. So I make a sketch of each guy, but I don't have like this giant ten foot sketch. I just do each guy one at a time, and um, I'll sketch them out on regular white paper, 
in the exact size that I want it to be. So I have like big rolls of paper. And that sketch on paper, from that point, if I were to be a painter, then I would lay down big swaths of color to have like the underpainting. And a painter would like decide, you know, what their palette was going to be, what kind of colors. Were they going to use watercolor or acrylic or oil? Or what was right. the medium going to be? For me, after the sketch is made, I sort of switch modes into thinking kind of like a dressmaker. And this paper is now a paper pattern. And instead of me painting swaths of color, I select patterns and fabrics and colors that I want to be able to tell the story. So, for instance, for the guys, I was thinking that I wanted to have a lot of fabric that denoted high honors or um, high esteem. So I'm using fabrics like kente cloth that was originally used in Ghana for royalty. Um, I'm using Dutch wax cloth with emblems of stars all over it to, to talk about the honors that they won while they were in battle. Um, and even the colors themselves, I'm thinking about how I want to represent each soldier, how I want some of them, like you're looking, I'm looking at their faces, so I'm looking and thinking about what is this guy's personality? Does he have a quirk in his eye, like a twinkle? One guy, his name is Eagle Eye. So they, they wrote that on the caption that I don't have his actual name, but that his nickname is Eagle Eye. So I'm thinking about on Eagle Eye, I might want to use brighter shades of either red, orange, or yellow to to talk about somebody who has accuracy like an eagle. Maybe he was a sharpshooter. I don't know. But I'm using color to communicate his personality, and then I'm also selecting these patterns to tell the story of what they went through. And I lay all those colors on top of my drawing, and I just start cutting them out like a dressmaker. And so that's what I meant by during this, this um, pandemic, I might cut a whole arm out of a blue starred fabric, let's just say. But then when I'm looking at where the highlights, the lowlights, I'm cutting more fabric and layering it on top. And I just got to the point where I was like hyper fixated, you know, looking at the little shine on a button and feeling like that shine is about the size of a, the dot on a pencil, and then, like, cutting that out and also laying that down. And That's so interesting. I want you to keep going, but these images are also, okay. are they life-size, or, or are these figures larger than life? Um, you know what? These guys, actually, I did make them a little bit larger. So okay. not like they're not giants, but let's say in real life, if the guy was 60, on mine he might look like six and a half or seven. So, so keep going. So then just because the process is fascinating, how the colors, you know, are, are first and such an expressive part of it and, and, uh, yeah. and also part of the narrative, really. Um, you cut off sure. the cloth, you lay down the pieces of cloth um, mm-hmm. where on top of the drawing and, and you're about mm-hmm. to go on, and then what happens next? Um, actually, 
I did. I misspoke there. I'm not laying it on top of the drawing, but right next to it. So I have okay. the drawing. I can layer it on top to make sure everything is in the right position, but then I'm kind of moving it off. And I'm tacking everything lightly with glue, especially the tiny pieces. I don't want to lose them. Um, big pieces I'm pinning. And that is familiar to a lot of quilt makers. That's called making your quilt top. So it's a layer of fabric where there are other fabrics laid on top. And that, when I go to stitch, that layering of fabrics is called applique. It just means you're applying pieces on top of other pieces. And so you're stitching then, to what? There's a, there's a canvas or a background? What's, uh, I, you know, what's, what's the, the process? I guess typically with a quilt, yeah. you'd be stitching to more cloth. I mean, not that yeah. canvas isn't cloth, but a different type yeah. of cloth. So how, do, how does that yeah. work? Is it canvas, and is this hand-stitched, or are you using a machine? How does mm-hmm. that work? Well, at this point, what I have, well, let's say if I had all nine guys done, but I have four now, but they look like giant paper dolls but made out of fabric. So I'm only stitching them to, let's say, the, the face of the man. The, the first layer of cloth is his skin color. So whatever I chose, if I say I chose that bright red. So they really don't have a background yet. When I have all nine guys, I pick a piece of fabric for the background. And that's really important because that fabric is like the setting like a play, you know, what, where are they in my scene? In, in the original, the guys were on a ship, but I don't often do a background like that looks like a ship. I want to put them in a space that doesn't really have a boundary. It can go on. It can be the past or the present. I'm just laying it in one big piece. Um, and I pin them onto that fabric. But I might audition, like, one time it was crazy, but I think I must have auditioned, like, 70 pieces of background fabric and picking up the nine guys, take them off, put them back down, snap a photo, make my family come down and look at it um, until I find the right one that says exactly what I want to say about them. And then right, I because, because, everything because of course together. the background's critical in that in that sense. Obviously, if there was a very Absolutely. dark dark background, uh, it means one thing. A very bright background right. it means something else. Yeah, so that's, right. that's so interesting. So then, and after that process, that's when you begin uh, applying, applying, sewing. Mm-hmm. Quilting. At that point, and, a quilt is like a sandwich. It has that quilt top. It has batting, and then cotton fabric on the back. And that is all loaded onto this big quilting machine that I call the beast. Uh, The fabric is pinned and rolled onto these bars. And then once those three layers are stitched together, that's what a quilt is. It's just three fabrics with the batting inside. But then there's machines, uh, like the beast, as you put it, runs lines over it. Is that how quilting works? Like like beginning... is hand sewn. The pieces are hand sewn, and then the machine is to make all that kind of uh, that quilting look. I mean, like, mm-hmm. obviously, I'm a total layperson with quilting. I don't know anything about it, but it creates those <laughs> no, but those kind of those, those squares or those geometric right. kind of puffy elements throughout it that are consistent. 
Right, except I don't actually do any hand sewing. Um, a traditional quilter would hand sew the top, pin everything together, and then quilt it. Mine is just pinned together. The top is pinned at first. I put on the batting and the background. I load it onto my machine. So I'm actually quilting and applique, so putting those top three layers that were pinned and quilting all the way through to the bottom. And um, I don't usually do, like, if you look at your mattress, you know, and you see those those um, those crisscross lines on the mattress, I'm doing something similar to that except for the pat. I'm not following a pattern. I'm doing, like, freestyle. I might want to, in one piece, I did the lyrics to a Tupac Shakur rap. So that's how I quilted it together by the people were standing there, and then behind them were the lyrics of his song were quoted. And you're doing those lyrics in, 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 in applique or in cloth, or that's with a in, sewing? In thread, sewing. In thread. Mm-hmm. So that's yes. almost like embroidery, and you can do that with a, with a machine as well. You're writing a kind of yes. cursive or print script. Yeah. Um, Some machines you can really do freehand, so whatever I want to do. I can be inspired by, sometimes I'll be looking at, like, um, this type of um, Nigerian wax fabric called the dire, and it has like zigzags and dots. Um, you might have seen like mud cloth that has that design. And I just was staring at it. I was like, oh, you know, I want to stitch mine like that. So what I love about this machine is whatever I feel like doing, I could write a poem. I could do perfectly straight lines. It's just really at my whim what I want to do with the piece that, once it's on the machine. It's so fascinating, and so uh, I'm excited you went through that process, and and I wish you <laughs> luck with that big piece. It sounds amazing for the for, for the upcoming shows. Um, and I and I and I, I don't mean to um, you know project too much into how much you'll have ready because I know you're working on that now. Sure. But is there a few other pieces that that will be part of this group that you imagine? I mean, there's this image mm-hmm. of um, of of that group, and and is there a few other images that you also imagine might be exhibited along with this? Yes, I've been thinking about, you know, what's been happening this whole year and the this awakening in, I would say, the United States, but really the world, this awakening that racism is real and what are the effects of racism, whether it's uh, the wealth gap or, or actual people being harmed or murdered or disenfranchised. So the selection of my images is sort of the the counterpoint to that. What are the things that we know as black people to be true that other people may not realize are true? So like, for instance, the black war heroes of World War I, um, I have an image of one of the survivors from the Tulsa massacre when she was only six years old. So it's an image of her before her family's tragedy happened. She's just a beautiful little girl sitting with a big bow in her hair in a photographer's studio. Um, I usually like to focus my artwork on how is it that we want to be seen? How, How do black people want to be seen? Or how do you tell your story 
as if it was like a personal photo album, but it's not a journal or like a, a diary of your worst moments exposed. It's more like these are the moments that I want to show and talk about. I like that. And, and of course, for, for those who want to see more, they can go to your website, which is linked here. Um, Bisa, I want to ask you one more question. What are you reading at the moment? What are you reading? I love Octavia Butler, and it's not just because my last name is Butler, and so is her. Mm. Um, I fell in love with her work when I was in college, and I've read, I love science fiction. I'm a super nerd. Um, I was losing it looking at the pictures of uh, the surface of Mars that were, um, that's been on the news lately. But, so I'm reading one of her older novels called Fledgling, and it's pretty interesting. Bisa, I want to thank you so much for talking with me today, and I want to wish you well with your upcoming exhibition. Thank you. Thank you so much for the interview, Brainerd. It's been exciting. It's been fun. You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more. <laughs>